Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Tech News Today is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. Tech News Today for Friday, May 20th, 2011. Tech News Today is brought to you by FreshBooks, the easy online invoicing service that gets you paid quickly and makes you look professional. Get started with a free package at FreshBooks.com. Welcome to Tech News Today. I'm Sarah Lane. I'm Maya Zaktar. I'm Jason Howell. And I'm Brian Brushwood. Yeah. Brian Brushwood has joined us today. Tom Merritt is still on vacation. It's his last day. Yep. Uh, the fifth day in a row that all of us have held down the fort in Tom Merritt's absence. absence, And we figured, you know, it's Friday, it's Liquid Friday, and who better to join us and talk about some tech than Brian Brushwood? Hey, Uh, thank you very much. What's on Brian Brushwood, in fact? With alcoholism in some way. (laughs) Yeah. It's the only reason you're here, Brian. (laughs) Hey, we we got booze as a theme. Who should we call? Brushwood. Get him on. (laughs) Yeah. Anybody at home who does not want to participate in the alcoholic Liquid Friday but just wants to have water, you are still one of the team. So everyone can can be part of the fun. So no ice. We don't judge. All right, let's get into uh, some pretty heavy news off the top. Uh, there was an explosion at Foxconn's uh, Chengdu plant. Uh, a couple people, at least so far, uh, died. Um, several others in critical condition. About 16 at least injured. Um, and there is some discussion about what exactly caused the explosion. I mean, we saw a report that perhaps lightning had struck a building. Uh, dust particles kind of caught on fire. Um, that's not necessarily what happened but um there's some confusion there were some videos uh, that were taken immediately afterward it looks like uh just a lot of confusion and pandemonium and 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 uh possible toxic dust right. uh, you know that people were breathing so just a really bad uh tragic uh occurrence all around what's interesting is that there's some talk about whether or not this chendu plant uh is manufacturing ipad 2s it some folks say yeah i mean that's actually um, one of the assembly lines that was in this building that exploded um, and whether or not uh, the man, uh, the majority of iPads are actually manufactured at Chengdu or um, another location, Shenzhen, which has obviously been in the news as well. Um, Foxconn in general has been in the news uh, quite a bit uh, for having you know poor working conditions and obviously they manufacture Apple products, so on and so forth. So this is Definitely not good, um, but could possibly affect the uh, iPad 2 production, which, as we know, here and around the world, um, is in uh, short supply anyway. Right, Foxconn's well-known for being a partner with Apple. They manufacture iPads, iPhones, things like that. Uh, still, right now, we don't have a full cause exp- of the explanation, uh, not of the explosion. We don't know what ha- caused it. And the local government, though, has ruled out fo- foul play. They're not saying that somebody set off anything in there. And there's some conflicting reports, like you were saying, Sarah, there might have been lightning. There's some dust, uh, smoke, and weird things going on. So hopefully this, this story will uh, we'll get some more details about this eventually. Apple has said that they're working closely with Foxconn to understand what caused this terrible event, and they're deeply saddened by this whole thing. And uh, on the business side, of course, this does impact iPads and things like that on a much lighter uh, side. Uh, Apple stock did drop about 1.5% based on this news. So there are two things that really strike me about this. First of all, man, does it, had anybody heard of Foxconn uh, over a year ago? Or it's like, I mean, it wasn't until the suicides that, of course, put them on the map, and especially their close ties with Apple. But I had never even heard of them until 
the suicides thing happened. Had, had either of you guys? Yeah, no, not really, Brian. I mean, it, obviously we know that uh, there are uh, manufacturing plants in other countries, of course, China being a notable country. Um, but no, it wasn't like I was I was familiar with Foxconn as the place where a lot of Apple products are made, as, long, as well as other company products too, uh, until they got a lot of bad press. Um, so it's it's unfortunate that Foxconn keeps coming onto folks' radar as uh, in a negative way, but... I guess that's that's what I'm getting at. Is I wonder how much of this is a little bit of attention focusing uh, because uh, I mean, first of all, it's kind of it's kind of amazing that just uh, what 150 years after the Industrial Revolution, that now an explosion at a factory, literally a planet away from us, can make global headlines with only two deaths. When you know 150 years ago, you went and lost your arm on a Thursday and you were back to work on Friday. Um, so in that regard, it's, it's it's a testament to how far we've come. Obviously, this is a very big concern. And of course, there does need to be reviews and safety procedures need to be followed. But um, I, I don't know. It's one of those things where it's like it just struck me that this is such a big story that that ultimately we're, right now, you know, of course, the numbers could change. You know, obviously, 16 people, critical condition is nothing to sneeze at. But I'm just surprised that this would make waves the world around. But to be clear, 16 people injured, three are in critical condition, and two have been killed. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I, Brian, I think you, I think you're uh, totally right. Um, Foxconn is has been in the news for negative reasons, and this is one of those things where would it have been reported on at least to at such great lengths um, had we not already been familiar with Foxconn for for really negative stuff? Well, I think the iPad side of it is is news enough i mean uh, not to make light of of anyone who has been killed or injured certainly not but as it ends up affecting ipad production um that you know it just it it has ripple effects shall we move to a much lighter side of of technology all right uh, all right what do you got I've got a story out of Bloomberg saying that Apple assigned Sony for its iTunes cloud service. Now, that means they would have Warner Music, EMI, and Sony all lined up. That means Universal is the only music group left, and they're the world's largest music company. So people are thinking right away, okay, that means iTunes.com is coming. There's going, going to be streaming things, and Apple's really lining up these deals. But Peter Kafka over at All Things Digital is pointing out that Apple may not be ready to launch a service by WWDC because they also need music publishers' consent because they have the rights to with the labels for the musical recordings, but not necessarily the compositions underneath. Yeah, we were talking before the shows, like, I, yeah, I, was, I was trying to figure out, well, if the labels and the publishers have agreements, and then the labels have an agreement with someone like Apple, why isn't the publishing agreement, you know, just carrying over? And I, as you had made the good point that these agreements were... A, perhaps in place well before the concept of streaming was even on anybody's minds. Right, because these contracts are going way, way back. They're probably going to have a large catalog, and they don't want to just include contracts or musical acts that only have contracts that have streaming discussed and that kind of stuff. What has me most intrigued about this story, it's building, obviously, is that Amazon and Google wouldn't play by the rules of these companies. Correct. So what concessions is Apple making? So if they have to pay an extra licensing fee, doesn't that mean eventually that we're gonna we have to pay for that? So let's say you pay a dollar twenty nine for a DRM free track, but if you want streaming rights too, that'll be a buck thirty nine. Because there's no way this thing is going to cost Apple nothing, and it's going to eventually the cost I, is going to fall into the consumer. I I do agree that it probably cannot cost Apple nothing, but I'm not convinced that um, 
that it won't uh, that it won't be free to the consumer. The reason being is because, especially because everybody else is not paying by the rules, it gives Apple a lot of leverage to say, uh, "Hey, look, it's getting to be a nightmare for you guys. People are not playing by the rules. We want to get you something." That's Apple's in a very good negotiating position, of course, being uh, you know the biggest music publisher online and uh, being able to offer them something. I don't know. I I feel like I feel like uh, I could see in the mix some kind of all-you-can-eat streaming service because Apple's going to be up against, for example, Mog. And I should disclose that uh, Mog is now a sponsor of Scam School. So I've been playing around with Mog, and Mog is $10 a month. You get uh, 11 million songs, um, and uh, they, you could download them to your device over the air. So I got to feel like that's an emerging space that, that iTunes has the opportunity to come in and try to stake some ground in. Peter Kafka over at All Things D um, explained pretty well why it's so it can be such a process to get the publishers and the labels and then a third party like Apple all on the same page because uh, two groups, so the labels and the publishers, each get paid when the work is used, um, but at different rates. And big music companies have recording music arms and publishing arms, but the two operate completely independently of each other. They don't always share the same rights to music. For example, Beatles recordings belong to EMI Music, but the band's publishing rights are controlled by Sony. So what ends up happening is that you just have a lot of people who have to sign off on an agreement like this. And that's why it takes so long. And yeah, we've seen a lot of deals like this mess up like DVD releases of things like I think it's WKRP in Cincinnati. They didn't have rights to these music tracks that they were playing on television mm -hmm. to be on DVD. And it stops a lot of shows that had like MTV shows like Daria was one of these cartoons that had a lot of pop music in it. But you could never get it streamed. You couldn't get DVDs of it because they couldn't line up all the different parties involved. So this is no small feat to get everyone on board with one particular company's idea. At this point, I mean, I, I think the question is, it sounds like Apple's going to, they're going to work this out one way or another. I mean, that's where they're going. Are they going to be able to launch this in time for the developers conference? I mean, first week of June, are we ready for this? Hard to say. It's May 20th. They got three of the major labels. Right. They can keep going. Try try for the June release. Maybe I, at least I, announce I, something. I I got to feel like there's a chance it could snowball forward because it's like once everybody's on board and it's a matter of like, hey, man, we got a money factory running. You want in on this? It could be very fast. And it would be I, I think there's a dollar value to the surprise of the announcement by WWDC. I'm not saying that I predict that it will happen, but I could see there being a strong motivator for somebody to try to make it happen in time for that. All right. Moving on to <laughs> some more bad luck for Sony, although this really? is not PSN related at all. It's just at this right, point, it doesn't matter. It, right. Exactly. It's just <laughs> it's, it's a kick, kick Sony while it's down kind of a couple of months. Brian, you, you mentioned earlier the Foxconn story. It's like, well, we'd be talking about this if Foxconn hadn't already gotten a lot of bad publicity. Kind of a similar case, uh, at least in Sony's case, uh, apparently F secure is reporting that Sony's Thailand's H HD world .sony.co.th URL has a phishing site running on it. It ends up being a subdomain of Sony Thailand site. And they're not really sure what happened, but apparently um, uh, the, a representative, his name is Miko H. Hyponen, and I'm probably butchering his name, said, hey, if you have a large site, you have a lot of legacy apps, you have a lot of mini sites, subdomains, that sort of thing, it's not unheard of for something like this to happen. They say it's probably less likely to be a PHP um, SQL hole, uh, or more likely, rather, than a DNS uh, hack of some kind. And that's only one half of Sony's problems today. On the right. second half, there's a second attack. Sonet, which is, which is Sony Japan's internet service provider, so they have a subsidiary at Sony, alerted customers that an intruder broke into its system and stole virtual points 
from account holders worth 100,000 yen. Wow, that sounds like a lot. It's like $1,200. Ah, I see. Um, American, right, anyway. Let's point out also, it's not even like they stole $1,200. They so stole virtual credits worth almost $1,200. Right. It's just more bad news for Sony. Oh, but you got to be. This is it's like Sony's the kid in the lunchroom who just lost a fist fight. And you're just waiting for the next time he stumbles and spills his lunch all over himself. You're like, ah, Sony. Oh, when will you ever learn? You're a mean kid, Schwood. Wow, you really are. I'm just saying that's the way that we're like wolves now. Come on. Tell me you can't wait for more stories like we're this. We're not it's ragging like, on them for this. can't we're, do anything right. right it's more now. about a, another, just another Thing that's I actually I actually hate reporting about bad Sony news. I mean, I I don't get any pleasure out of saying, guess what? Something bad happened again. It makes to it the sound company like, called Sony. Makes, I just I wish they 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 didn't have such a string of bad luck. It makes really. it sound like we're in reruns. Like every day we're reporting <laughs> Sony. Yeah, did something stupid. So this again is it's left field. Um, it looks like it's it's an easy enough fix. Um, the the folks over at Sony Thailand, uh, you know, they weren't even sure necessarily that this particular subdomain wasn't run by uh, perhaps an ad agency or some something somebody that Sony was working with. So it's just it's just unfortunate. Sony has just had a bad a bad freaking April May. Yeah, past perhaps June months. 2011. Yeah, bad 2011. Good thing that yeah. Rapture's coming. All right, more stories to come, as well as why uh, Zuckerberg wants to make nice to the kids. But first, we want to thank FreshBooks for sponsoring this episode of TNT. I almost said iPad today, but that's a whole different show. If you're not familiar with FreshBooks and you like invoicing or you have to invoice people, then FreshBooks is the best option by far that you have. If you're a small business owner, if you're a consultant, or you just want to start freelancing, uh, invoicing folks is the way that you get paid. It's part of life. It's not a lot of fun because it's having to politely ask people to pay you, you know, whatever you guys agreed upon. Um, and you don't want to play the bad guy. It can be really difficult to stay organized when you're having a little bit of money coming in from a lot of different folks. That's where FreshBooks comes in because they let you uh, create invoices and be able to to communicate with the folks that you are providing services to and are paying you professionally and easily. They can set up uh, payment reminders so that they can they can ping the folks that owe you money when when they've 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 gone past that Saturday when you needed that money to pay your rent that kind of thing. Uh, they'll kind of just play the bad cop for you, so you you really can just sort of let FreshBooks take care of all the dirty work once you set up your account. What's cool is that you can try out FreshBooks free doesn't cost anything and you can set up up to three clients and never pay a dime. So if you're if you've if you've got just a few clients, this could be just the the absolute best solution for you. Um, and they have really reasonable rates if you happen to be um, a, a freelancer who has more, more than a few clients. You can get paid a variety of different ways. If you're a PayPal person, that's great. FreshBooks is, can do that in a snap. Uh, if you if you have clients that need stuff to be going through the mail, you know, putting stamps on on letters, uh, FreshBooks can do that too. Through your bank account, variety of different uh, online payment services as well. And um, what FreshBooks also offers that is just awesome and so unique is that they will enter you if you sign up for an account. Again, it's very, very easy to do at FreshBooks.com. They'll enter you into a drawing to win a cake. Every week they draw a name out of a hat and if they read your name, they'll send you a cake in the mail. We can vouch personally on the show we have gotten a cake from FreshBooks because Tom Merritt signed up for an account and he won a cake what? and we all ate the cake and it was delicious. The other thing is if you don't win a cake, you can invoice people and then you can have money to buy a cake. That's right. Sure. Can I can I can I make a suggestion? Since yes. you get since you sign up for free and your first three clients are free, I say if you're not a professional, if you got some deadbeat friend of yours who owes you money because you lent him five bucks at the bar the other day, sign up for Fresh Books and then present him with an invoice. How's he going to say no to that? 
Exactly. They'll hammer on them and keep sending emails until you finally get paid. Blindside somebody with an invoice and use FreshBooks. And by the way, they have uh, they have great apps too. So if you're like a mobile person and and or you know you need to be billed hourly, all that stuff, FreshBooks makes it really easy to just kind of check in and make sure that everything's going smoothly when you're out and about and on the go. FreshBooks.com again, up to three clients free. Thank you to FreshBooks for sponsoring this episode of TNT. And now on to Mark Zuckerberg, who wants your children, in fact, specifically Ayaz's, Jason's, and Brian's children, who are all under the age of 13, to have Facebook accounts. And Mark Zuckerberg, has, he was at some kind of uh, education summit, and he was talking about how he would like children under 13 to be allowed on Facebook. But there's kind of a legal problem. There's the Ch- Children's Online Pr- Privacy Protection Act, COPA, which says that you cannot... You cannot uh, have this information collected by companies like Facebook unless there's parental uh, permission. Mm -hmm. So Zuckerberg, though, did say something odd. He goes, when he was talking about COPA, this will be a fight we take on at some point. My philosophy is that for education, you need to start at a really, really young age, saying that you can use Facebook for education and that kind of thing. But Facebook fighting COPA, kind of an interesting argument. Yeah, Zuckerberg says, you know, he, he acknowledges that there are restrictions, so Facebook can't even really begin the learning process of figuring out what uh, the best experience is for kids under 13. And he does say, I mean, obviously this would have to be a different experience. It's not the Facebook for adults. It would be different. We just can't even experiment with this because we're not allowed to. And it's worth noting, I mean, Zuckerberg, we all know he's he's a young guy. Um, he, he started coding in sixth grade. So it's like he does come from the school of thought that starting young... Um, being able to experience, um, I, well, social networking. I mean, there wasn't social networking as we know it when he was a kid, but it's like being able to kind of be a part of the momentum of how social attitudes are changing at a young age will make you more used to it at an older age. I just, I'm just well, this not- is- Go ahead, I think this is definitely a case of, of unintended consequences. Of course, the whole point of, of COPPA, however you want to pronounce it, is to is to protect children from predators online, that kind of thing. So they picked this arbitrary number 13 because it sounds good. But nowadays, as you mentioned, the entire landscape is completely different now. And it's almost, you know, I, what it does is perversely, it provides an incentive for children who are 12 to lie about their age and go into this this world completely unprotected under a false alias. So number one, it encourages kids who want to engage in social media to lie, and then they go out and they have no protection. So they're actually worse off than if Facebook was able to create some kind of you know Facebook Junior experience that was that was highly policed and highly curated. Because my daughter's seven, and I got to tell you, man, she's about twenty minutes from wanting her own YouTube channel, and I. I, there's not. I'm not going to be able to stop her, and I would love it if we had the freedom to uh, to allow her to get an account at the age of eight or nine to get started. And one of the problems with COPA is it, it's from 1998, somewhere around 2000, I think it was passed. And the thing is, it does require that there's verifiable parental consent, and that means the term. It's actually defined in the statute saying it means any reasonable effort taking into consideration any available technology, which is a really broad term, mm-hmm. to ensure that a, that a parent of a child receives notice of the operator's personal information collection and authorizes the collection before that info is collected from the child. So just by well, signing up I- and giving your name as a child, that's, you already have a problem. Mm-hmm. It would, theoretically, Facebook would have to have like a parental account, right? And then they would have to 
I guess, set it up so that the kid has to ask the parent and they have to no, verify like, this. Here's what you could do. Here's what you could do. You could easily tie it to an existing account. So I've got my Brian Brushwood account on Facebook. And so now I we open an account for Penelope Brushwood and we, you know, and this is all me speculating, but it could be the kind of thing where you could have different check boxes. For example, I would like uh, a daily report automatically created and emailed to me of all of her interactions, where she went and what she saw and, uh, you know, who said what to her. And uh, you can decide your own involvement. And, and, you know, at different at different gradients, you know, there comes a time when, you know, the kid's 16 and it's no longer appropriate for you to be getting all those emails or intercepting them. That's something that goes family by family, but it should be under the jurisdiction of the adult to decide, uh, you know, when and how their child experiences Facebook Junior. But the second Facebook actually allows parents to do this kind of thing, now they're going to be subject to this law. And now they have to deal with all a whole other set of problems. So that's probably why they're kind of dragging their feet on this. They probably have to do a lot of legal research before they go, okay, what is going to be bulletproof? Because it's going to be a very difficult thing. Because this is an older kind of statute compared to social networking, which just really, really just became huge in the past couple of years. And Brian, I, I like the idea of of kind of bundling uh, children's activity on Facebook from within, uh, sort of like as a, as a subdomain of sorts, from within their parents' account, because then you can set privacy settings, you have, a, you have an ability to monitor their activity, but then you get into what if, you know, something nefarious happens on Facebook, does it come back to the parents who maybe had nothing to do with activity or something that was said or threats or accusations or, you know, all sorts of things that, that end up popping up on Facebook now? Um, it, it's, a, it's a sticky situation. I'm not sure what, well, the, uh, what the solution is. I mean, obviously, there's a long way to go to resolve this, but it is good that Mark's bringing up it up now, and it's good that he's recognizing that what we have right now is a recipe for disaster down the line, a system that by its very nature prohibits anyone under 13 from even getting online to play, encourages them to lie, and encourages right. them to be vulnerable to situations that we don't want them to do. It's important that we, we rework this now, and it will be ugly to hash it out, but I think it is important. As an aside, the publisher of Consumer Reports, Consumer Union, they want Facebook to be transparent with its efforts with this whole uh, removing and identifying profiles of kids under 13. There was a survey recently that uh, as many as 7.5 million kids under 13 are on Facebook, which is a violation of their terms. So the Consumer Union wants these guys to get these kids out of there. How on, All I got to say just real quick is how on earth do you crack down on that? All a kid has to do is say that they're older than they are. That's all you really have to do. Uh, exactly. That's a great question. Yeah, nobody nobody asks for a photo or comes to your house and even, to get a even look if at it you. Is, even if it is totally, you know, worked out like you like you say, Brian, and they they have a legitimate system. Kids are really smart with computers because they're born. Uh, you know, they're they're of a generation that have the computers in their life from the time that they're born. So they're only going to get smarter and realize that if all they have to do is set an older age to get around this and not have, well, to have their parents peering right. in on them, that's what they're going to do. I mean, it's that's easy. why it's so important. That's why it's so important. It's kind of like the whole Netflix versus BitTorrent thing. You know, Netflix instant streaming is making so many movies available instantly that it's going to start cutting in on on BitTorrenting because why would you want to bother to download the whole thing illegally when it's just right there and it's just easy to go? Likewise, I want to see the same thing with a Facebook Junior, where it's like, yeah, you could create a secret account that you keep secret from your parents, but it's so easy. It's here right now. And what are you really going to do that you don't care? You know, it's it's the kind of thing where I want there to be a built-in process that uh, that is gets them 90% of the things they want to where they don't have the desire to go create a fake account with a fake age on there. Yeah, let's not forget also that Facebook, I mean, they've got 600 million users. Well, they'd like a lot of, you know, they'd like 600 million more. And 
if they're under 13, that's great. So, you know, let's get them on. Let's get them being honest about how old they are so that they can mark, they can be marketed to appropriately. It is in Facebook's best interest to figure this out so that they have more users. Yeah, and they still don't want to get sued out of existence. And that too. Mm. All right, moving on to some playbook sales numbers. They're really not as good as expected. Uh, Boy Genius is reporting uh, through a trusted source that the BlackBerry playbook sales missed internal sales targets by over 90%. That's a scary it's a big number. There's more. Yeah, playbooks are also apparently being returned at a much higher rate than the Zoom. The Zoom's return rate was 7%, which is high, according to the same source. Playbook numbers even higher. Analysts at RBC had pegged playbook sales around 250,000 after two months of availability, which is lower than what they had predicted beforehand. But, you know, certainly not a disaster. A RIM spokesperson and talked to uh, Electronista and said, Boy Genius's report is inconsistent with the feedback that RIM has gotten from retailers. They haven't heard anything of the sort. RIM is uh, going to talk official numbers on June 16th, so we'll at least see how, what kind of spin they put on it. But I think it's interesting that although their um, their sales numbers haven't been awful, I mean, they're, they're lower than expected, but not awful, um, that that their return rate is so high. Well, and that especially messes me up because the impression I got from all the reviews I had seen and the hands-on was that the the playbook was generally well received compared to the Zoom, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it's I think anybody who had gotten a playbook seemed to have the same um, complaint if they complained at all that you know that just the app ecosystem wasn't there. Well, I mean, there's still a lot of competition right now, right? We have there is the Zoom, there's the iPad too, and there's and then there's this playbook which kind of works with your BlackBerry phone. It's kind of a small form factor compared to a lot of the other ones out there. I mean, it's up against, I guess, the Galaxy Tab, the seven-inch one. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they, it looks like they're just trying to find a, a foothold in the marketplace. Plus, they had they they were supposed to be able to do Flash, and Flash is great, but when people try to use Hulu, they got locked out. It wasn't anything to do with RIM. It turns out that Hulu's like, yeah, you know what? Since you don't have a keyboard and it doesn't have a clamshell form factor. You don't get to have it. I think that probably influenced a lot of people. All right. um, Spam. Let's talk about spam. Uh, Spam is not good. No one really likes spam. And no one, at least so far, has had a really clear um, solution for how to get rid of all that spam that's in our spam folders and in all of our email accounts. We're used to it. Well, two universities in California conducted a study uh, that could, they think, maybe mark the end of spam. So what they did, uh, kind of unconventional little uh, experiment here, they tried to receive as much spam as possible, like actually clicking on links and buying the products that was advertised in these spam emails. And they found that around 95%, so a huge percentage of the credit card transactions for spam advertised, you know, prescription drugs and whatever people are buying, you know, via spam email, were handled by a very small amount of financial companies, just three, mostly in... Azerbaijan? Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan. And Nevis in the West Indies. And Nevis. I actually had to look up where Nevis was. I was not familiar uh, with with, with I, Nevis. I don't it's think... Caribbean area. Yeah, the New York Times actually wrote down Nevis in West Indies just in case anyone was unfamiliar. And the weird thing is, you know, if these credit card companies stopped accepting payments with these financial institutions, spam would have to change. I mean, they couldn't use the same kind of methods because, spam, I mean, trying to find the source of spam is very difficult. And once you find their actual legitimate ties to money... Uh-huh. That's when you can actually peg down who exactly is involved. So it's it, it's really up to the credit card companies at that point if they want to reduce our spam. 
I just don't understand why okay. why the financial companies couldn't just be relocated somewhere. You know, it's it's. Well, you, you mean you use different companies? Yeah. But then you just keep well, doing a blacklist, that's what I was right? To say is, is yes, we have identified the three heads of the Hydra, and by mm-hmm. all means, I as let's chop off one. I'm sure it won't grow back three more heads in that spot, because right, it's like just- look. I mean, Number one, mad props to these guys for, for diving all the way in and actually finding out where, following the money. This is brilliant. This is what happens when science takes on spam, and I'm super proud of it. But I don't know that you could just wave a wand and say, you know, let's say Visa, let's say they all say, okay, we've dropped these guys. Uh, that's not the end of the spam. That's not going to be the end of it. I'm still thinking that you just would create a blacklist effectively. You start saying, okay, it's like you run out of countries. I mean, there are only so many. Yeah, I mean, like <laughs> these, these companies want to get paid. I mean, they're, they're credit card companies. They don't really care necessarily who their client uh, client base is. But if mm-hmm. their client base is taking off their majority of their client base, like regular users, right. they might have to respond. I mean, there's, there must be a way to create a blacklist for this kind of stuff. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I applaud the folks who are trying to figure out the end of spam. Brian, I, I, I mean, I hate to to be a Debbie Downer, but I'm kind of with you. I just, I'm so used to spam being a part of our lives and just this annoyance that, that, that can't be killed. You know, it's like, it's like the, the weeds that, you know, you kill them, if but they can, will grow back and you, you just have to keep working on it. If filter can get better, why couldn't the credit card filter work too? Well, like, and actually, I guess just because it hasn't so far. I mean, I, I actually think spam's gotten way better nowadays as far as the actual uh, personal experience. When, you know, I use Gmail or, or you know, there's, there's all these different services that you could easily download. Once people realized there was a buck to be made by reducing people's spam, I, I, I mean, I've seen a lot. I even have a completely unfiltered account that still doesn't get near the spam it got just five years ago. Like the built-in whitelists and blacklists that most ISPs are using, I think in general, from a personal perspective, it's actually getting better. You know, I've actually noticed the quality of spam better too. Like I saw one that said, hey, I got <laughs> pictures of your wife. And I was like, what? Who's this? And I was like, wait a minute. This, this uh, is a trap. You got tricked. <laughs> I agree, I agree that it's easy it's easy to ignore spam. I know my my Gmail spam filter. It's it's very rare that something will get through that filter. I mean, for the most part I'm not I'm not having to read through all the stuff. I'm not personally that inconvenience, but the volume isn't going anywhere. I mean, the volume is worse than ever. Um and, you know, if you go into your spam folders and look at all that junk, I mean, it's, it's a lot of processing power just for nothing. Spam will continue as long as people click those ads. All right, now for our feel-good Friday story. And this really is a feel-good story. University of Louisville research helps a paraplegic man not only stand, but regain some use of his legs and walk, at least for short periods of time. Yeah, there's an implanted electrodes. Uh, via implanted electrodes, this guy is able to walk and actually, actually stand on his own. In a harness, he's able to walk now. Uh, this, is, this was a paraplegic man who was paralyzed below the chest in 2006, when he was hit by a speeding car. And this is apparently the product of over 30 years of research. So this is this is a huge step. I mean, yeah, is, Rob's, no Rob Summers is his name. And, and apparently he was um, he was a, um, a an elite athlete. So they say, listen, this guy was in excellent physical shape before his accident, which might contribute to the fact that we've had so much success with him. Um, that said, this is, I mean, usually when, when someone is paralyzed, and their spinal injury, um, and you you know you lose the use of your legs, or you know you're paraplegic or quadriplegic. There's not a lot of coming back from that. So uh, to be able to at least get this far, I mean, having Rob being able to stand on a treadmill and take a few steps and then rest, take a few more steps. I mean, imagine in five years. I mean, if he can continue this kind of physical therapy, wow. He's getting uh, actual feeling back in his toes. He can wiggle his toes and things like that, and that's a huge deal. And and most importantly, quote. Some sexual response. 
I'm just saying. Good on you. <laughs> right. That's important. It's very important. Uh, it, you're damn right. It's important. Are you kidding me? That's the one part of the story that's that's speaking to me. This is this is huge news. I'm glad for you. you Enjoy. Know, th- this also. I mean, I love I love to think that this could um, this could translate across um, other physical ailments like multiple sclerosis. A lot of people have problems, um, neurological problems that inhibit the the use of their legs. You know, in their back, and um, if there are spinal implants that can start helping people. I mean, not just anybody who was in a car accident, but folks who have who have issues like this for a variety of reasons. That's just great. Modern medicine, you gotta love it. And with that, let's move on to the news views. That one, that one works every time, I gotta uh, say. Yeah, no, it was, that was awesome. It was like a, you know, bubblegum. A professional footballer, uh, that's a soccer player to people in the U.S., known as CTB, wants Twitter to hand his lawyers names of people who broke a U.K. super injunction. You might wonder, what is this super injunction? Well, it's something that would prohibit the press from reporting even the existence of the injunction. It's like an unreportable gag order. There are jurisdictional questions as well as possible immunity that could mean Twitter may refuse to comply without consequence. And if that story just made your head hurt, then you and I have something in common. Sorry about that. I, <laughs> that's my bad. The purveyors of the Mac OS X malware scare may be an old foe of Microsoft. Microsoft said it found evidence of a link between the scareware on Mac and certain scareware on Windows. Microsoft believes the maker of the software is Russian, and right now Linux users everywhere are saying, ha ha that's what they're saying but they have to deal with this at all exactly Nelson just really really mellow like ha ha we're Linux congratulations to Qualcomm Uh, I believe congratulations are in order because you've won Nokia's picked as its first processor partner for its Windows Phone 7 devices now Microsoft requires makers of Windows Phone 7 phones to use Qualcomm chips for consistent user experience but because Microsoft and Nokia they have a special deal so Nokia is still looking to add other processor manufacturers um, T, uh, ST Ericsson processor on deck for example yeah, one of the heads of ST Microelectronics was like we're going to be in those phones too and so that's caused some confusion Amazon, you know, they've been challenging Apple's trademark of App Store. Mm-hmm. Well, Apple's got an argument for that. Quote, Apple denies that based on their common meaning, the words App Store together denote a store for apps. Hmm. You know, that's, that's definitely an argument. Uh, whether it's a good one, I, I guess I'll leave that to the court. Brian, what do you think? Is App Store the same as store for apps? No. <laughs> no, it's not. It I isn't. Mean- I mean, it's, uh, I, I don't know. It's, I, I guess the question is whether or not they, they own the phrase App Store. Look, Apple, you're the ones who worked so hard to normalize that phrase, and, every, you're, and everyone else has started using it, and now you want backseas. No take backseas. We get App Store. Everyone, App Store, it's like Kleenex and all the other generic terms. Right, yeah, not generic. exactly. Nook Color buyers, beware the blue dot. What I mean by that is new models of the Nook Color have a blue dot on their boxes, and that is a sign that the e-reader gives the user only one single gigabyte accessible free space. Four gigabytes of the device are reserved for Nook content. Now, older models of the Nook Color gave the user uh, access to all five gigabytes. That may be annoying, but at least both of the models have micro SD slots. So who owns a trademark for Thunderbolt? No, we're not talking about the phone. We're talking about the technology formerly known as Lightpeak. Earlier this week, it was reported that Apple had trademarked the term. Intel said that Apple will be transferring the rights to Intel, so that means Thunderbolt port, ports should be called Thunderbolt ports on all systems, not just Macs. That's, I mean, I think that makes sense. It, it, Thunderbolt yeah, I is, smart. yeah, I mean, you, you right. want someone to be familiar with Thunderbolt 
uh, to not have to learn some sort of proprietary Apple term. The scary thing is like Apple had FireWire and then the other name for it was iLink and IEEE 1394, which was such a catchy name. Yeah, no, I love that one. I really miss it. I miss saying that. IEEE 1394. On air all the time. Zynga, uh, the makers of time suckers like Farmville and Gagaville, they're getting sued by the learning company because... Um, because a uh, learning company thinks that Zynga's name, entitled Frontierville's Oregon Trail, is a violation of the learning company's registered trademark of the Oregon Trail. Now, side-by-side images from the games do show quite a few similarities. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know, it kind of looks iffy. Even if you've never played the Oregon Trail, so that means you're what, under, you were born after 1985? Something like Something that. Something like that. Um, odds are you've still seen a very famous phrase from the game all over the internet. You have died from dysentery. Dude, so. that's got to be the litmus test. You walk into court and you show one screenshot. If it says you have died from dysentery on the Zynga game, Done. you had my friend. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And Google News is Google's news archive project is dead. The, I, the I, I guess nobody else is saying that. The idea was Google would scan and index archival material from newspapers to build a giant library. Google emailed publishers yesterday, and it's told them that it's decided to pull the plug after scanning 60 million pages. So long, unsuccessful Google property. You know, you can go out and hang out with Google Wave. Ooh, right, now, hey, now, I do have a question about this. Now, was this a case where just they realized there was no money in it, in which case that's legit? Uh, but Or was it a case where they just got killed by copyright legislation? Because this is a brilliant and important idea that they were working on. And it really it kind of hurts me that, uh, that, they're that they're pulling the plug on it. In the story, they were just saying that we wanted to focus on our future projects. And, and they actually, I think it's... They, they pointed out some Google One Pass or something strange. I can, can't remember the name right now. Mm. But it's about a, like a micropayment system. After 60 uh, million pages, they're just like, oh, there's this so was, much more this of this was so to do. Fun we, don't, 59 million. we just don't want to do this, this anymore. This is, this is like uh, big drug companies deciding they don't want to do vaccines anymore. And they'd rather make a mint on oh, uh, I don't think it's that bad. It's far from that bad. It's <laughs> Apples and oranges a little bit. Yeah. Uh, finally, iPads. They are big in the living room. But you know what's big in the bedroom? Kindles. Oh. oh. <laughs> and I have broke. I have broken you, sir. Well, I didn't want to laugh Kindles right in the bedroom. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, for our kicker, we have iP There was a study from Nielsen saying that iPads are used a lot when people are watching TV. And Kindles are, end up in the bedroom. And Kindles in the bedroom actually make a lot of sense since iPads are so dang heavy when you're trying to read. If you hold one up above you and it falls, you know, which a I've lot, had. It, for, for people who don't have both an iPad and a Kindle, uh, that's me because I just have an iPad. It's sort of like, well, it's not that heavy. But for folks, and you're, I mean, you're not the first person who said this, who have both, it's like there's no comparison. When you want to read, especially if it's in bed and you're just kind of comfortable and you don't want to hold something heavy, uh, the Kindle's the way to go. Um, it also makes sense that people would be browsing their iPads because it's, yes, you can read a Kindle book uh, via an iPad, but it's more of like that surfing the internet type of a, an experience, I feel like, where I'm, I'm, I'm kind of engaging in several apps maybe while watching TV or perhaps using AirPlay to actually stream something from my iPad to my television, which is not something that I'm probably going to do in my bedroom. Bedroom is more for quiet reading, and that's it. That's the only thing that happens in bedrooms is quiet reading on Kindles. Exactly. Just in now, case anyone on, was confused. 
one of the things I love most in this article was the graph it showed because it separated it into the iPad to the the Kindle type apps and then the the, the smartphone. If you look at the at the iPhone across the board, it's almost all. I, I mean, everything's at like fifty percent or or higher. The only two that it takes a dip in are in the bathroom and attending a meeting, and even then, it's as high or higher than any of the other ones. It's uh, like. The only one where the, the Kindle outshines is is in the bedroom uh, compared to everything else. It's relatively low use because if you're reading a book on a Kindle, then you're giving it your full attention. Of course, you're not going to do that while you're at a meeting. You're not going to do that while you're watching TV. Nobody reads a book while they're watching TV. But, uh, but it just is a testament to me what a fabulous multifunction device the iPhone and all smartphones have become in our lives. There are surrogate mini brains now. I mean, I use an iPad instead of using my laptop when I'm watching TV. So it's just... Just one for the other. Not really that mm. big to me. Yeah, I agree. It's very. It would be very difficult to watch a movie and read a book at the same time. I mean, can't be done, right? I've, so it makes sense. I've read a book during a baseball game. So I mean, you can do well, it. Well, that's because you want to ignore the baseball game. No, there's a lot of time between pitches. I mean, there really are. <laughs> well, then you can probably chew gum and walk at the same time. No. Okay. No, no. Well, all right. On no, the nobody, nobody can do that. <laughs> Urban legend. The TechCrunch Disrupt Hackathon, not Hathicon. I'm uh, really not drunk, actually. I just have a hard time talking today. Ayaz is rubbing off on me. Ayaz-itis <laughs> <laughs> is in full effect. It's taking place in New York City this weekend. Uh, the actual Disrupt Conference starts on Monday, goes through Wednesday. So if you're a hacker, get on over to NYC and build something. Uh, the last space shuttle flight from NASA is has been scheduled. Atlantis will launch from the Kennedy Space Center in Florida on July 8th. Uh, will we be attending? I don't think so. But are you guys it would be like, nice? Are you guys all misty eyed with the end of the space shuttle program? No, I'm not. Really? I, I, I'm not. Uh, you know, I, I care. Um, I'm. I'm not sure that I'm. I'm sad. Right, but if it was like a movie trailer where it led to like a proposal, you'd cry. But if it was about a space <laughs> thing, you don't cry about that. Apples and oranges, I as apples and oranges. Even, I'll tell those you those are what, fruits. Like, this is not even close. Exactly. Okay, that's the whole point. Like two years when I had heard that they were ending this, the space shuttle program, I really thought I would be upset come now. But the latest news from SpaceX and the fact that uh, you know Elon Musk put out a press release saying that they're able to essentially provide the same services as NASA for one third the cost, it kind of has me all excited about the new phase of, of space that we're about to enter. Yeah, exactly. As of July 16th, Microsoft will no longer accept Windows Mobile 6 apps in an effort to get people to develop for Windows Phone 7 already. I know who's broken up about this. this I as. That's right. That I'm, guy. I'm a Windows Mobile 6.5 fanboy. Yeah, as you, know. you love it. Uh, this this makes perfect sense. Well, yeah, I mean, Not a big surprise. The other thing is Windows Phone 7 doesn't support those apps anyway. You might as well move ahead. And we have an email from Adrian. Good day, TNT crew. And he wrote good day. I'm not just making that up. I was just catching up with show number 244 where you spoke about New York aiming to be the next top digital city, including opening a Twitter and Facebook presence. During the discussion, I thought you missed some of the potential for these accounts. I live in Brisbane, Australia, and I'm sure you recall that in January this year, we had some pretty horrible flooding. Our city's Twitter account assisted our police services, Facebook and Twitter accounts to share, to share information, coordinate resources, and combat misinformation. As an example, there was a resident living near my house who was cut off by floodwaters and without power. The person required boiled water for medical reasons. A call was put out on Twitter, a gas stove offered, and a person arranged to transport it to the stranded, stranded individual. So we've missed a point there of Twitter actually being used for this kind of communication. Well, Adrian, I, I, uh, that is uh, indeed a really great example of how social networking can work. I, I think that's exactly why New York is setting 
these types of services up. I mean, they, they don't necessarily have a, a natural catastrophe in mind. Obviously, the, the hope is that something like that doesn't happen. But if it does, and they have a really good network where people can communicate with each other and certainly communicate with city officials, that's the whole point of this. Yeah, the more points of communication, the better. Because if one system fails, you have a redundancy. And that's a really important thing. It's not just like this silly, oh, what's, what's hot right now? Twitter, we'll do that. So there's some great reasoning for this. Finally, uh, you probably have heard that Twit is moving to a new improved studio. We're in the process of building it right now. And if you want to own a piece of our set, you can buy a brick. We're doing a fundraiser for our new Twit studios. To learn more about it, to uh, to help donate and uh, help our process along, you can go to bricks.twit.tv and buy a brick. Get your name engraved. Uh, leave a message. Come visit us later. See your brick. Doesn't that sound fun? You could show up. You can take a piece of paper, make a rubbing of your brick. And you're like, hey, you look, could, that's could, my brick. Whatever. Take a picture of yourself with your very own brick um, or just just be happy knowing that you've got a brick up on yeah, the set. Helped behind build. the TNT set, for example. Again, oh, bricks.twit.tv. Go ahead, Brian. I, I actually had a question. Is, is it is it on the outside of the brick house? Is it on the inside? Is it part of the set? Is there a chance that we'll see it on screen at some point? Where can people visualize where the bricks actually end up? It'll be where the reception area is. When you come in, there's going to be a couple of walls, and there's going to be bricks pretty much everywhere around there. So if you visit, or you probably see a tour of the studio at some point, you'll see it. Uh, maybe not behind us on the TNT set, because we don't know what you're going to write, quite honestly. So, uh, <laughs> it's actually, it's it's for, for folks who aren't familiar with the, the new studio, it won't be on the outside because we, we want to keep your bricks safe. But when you go into the entryway, it's kind of the best place, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's different than the entryway now. I mean, it's, it's a, the new studio is really awesome. So the entryway is just sort of big, um, open space where everybody will see your brick. And it is, it's going to be really cool. So, again, we'd love to, to have your support. Uh, we love your support already. Bricks.twit.tv is the place to go help us out. Help us uh, get into the new studio um, sooner rather than later. That's it for this episode of TNT. You can get a hold of us at 260-TNT-SHOW. Leave us a voicemail. Tell us what you had for lunch or, you know, just talk tech. You can always email us at tnt at twit.tv. Brian, thanks so much for joining us on Liquid Friday. Tell folks so where else they, they can you know see you, you on Twit and Beyond. On a dry Monday. I'll come, I'll come anytime you guys want me. Good. Uh, Brian, you're on NSFW on Tuesdays as well as Frame Rate with Tom Merritt regularly on Tuesdays as well. Where else can folks find you on the net? Uh, you can find me at schwood.com. That's S-H-W-O-O-D.com. But my latest news is I finally converted over my Facebook profile to a public page. Nice. So if you go to um, uh, FB.com slash Schwood, S-H-W-O-O-D, then you can give me a like. Just say you like me. I'm going to go and like then, your page uh, right now. They like Squid. Really All do. right, everybody. Have a great weekend. Tom Merritt will be back on Monday. Thanks so much for uh, for joining us. A Tom Merritt Free Week. Bye-bye. And enjoy the rapture.